welcome to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. It's great to be with you. Thank you, Kathy and Missions Corps, for asking me to come and share. I shared about four years ago about Bible translations, so I'm back for some more. So would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you that your presence is here. And Lord, I ask that as I share what you put on my heart, Lord, um, bring that home to us deep in our spirits where we need that healing, where we need that touch. Thank you that you are capable of touching us, and we welcome you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I get to wear a lot of different hats in my life, and one of my very favorite hats is I get to be Julie Jones' husband. (laughs) And that is for sure. She is so wonderful. I know some of you know her, and she's amazing. And 40 years, which is remarkable, I think. And then I also get to know, be known by being either Mika's dad or Skylar's dad or Linnea's dad. And that has been a privilege. These are when they were, of course, smaller. And just to have, have the chance to come alongside our kids as they're growing and all the struggles that you have when you grow up and just to, to learn from them and to see God's father heart has been a privilege. And then now I get to be known as Koji's father-in-law. You might not recognize him. This is our drummer. He's now rocking the long hair. That's a good look, Koji. I don't know. And so he's married to my daughter, Mika, and we are so blessed to have Koji in our family. Well, I currently work as a physical therapist. I work in home health. So I typically am working with people who are going through some sort of a health crisis. Maybe they've had a heart attack or a stroke, or maybe we're helping them transition to hospice care. So I have this daily reminder that every day I feel like life is such a gift and our life is so very, very short. So it really motivates me to want to make each day count for him. When Julie and I were first married, we um, joined Wycliffe for our honeymoon. (laughs) No, we joined, sorry, YWAM for our honeymoon. We um, went and just had this wonderful experience training with YWAM and having our eyes really open to what um, is going on in the world and all the opportunities for us. And then we went back and worked as in our careers. My wife is a dietitian. And then years later, we joined Wycliffe Bible Translators and became Bible Translators in the Solomon Islands. So people are going, where's the Solomon Islands? I didn't know where the Solomons were. So this is Australia. The Solomons are right back there by my shoulder. <laughs> That's okay. So if you can go back one. Okay, well, anyways. There we go. So this is the the archipelago of Melanesia, very, very language-intense area of the world. This is Papua New Guinea. And then the the another map that we have is of the language of the Solomon Islands. And so there's 70 languages in the country. And um, so Julie and I have been working with just one tribe right here, the Zabana people. They're on the upper half of Santa Isabel Island. You might have heard of Guadalcanal in in World War II. That's a famous place. That's down here. So we moved into Kia Village to live with these people because the leaders in the village had invited us to come. And they invited us because they did not have the Bible in their language. And the reason why they didn't have a Bible is because they didn't have an alphabet. They only had a spoken language. So our job was to come and live with them, figure out the sound system of the language, figure out an alphabet that would represent that, figure out the grammar, how do adjectives work and verbs and nouns, teach them how to read and write their language, and then help them translate the Bible into Savannah. It's a big job. (laughs) 
so the wonderful thing was God was great. And these are some just amazing people that I got to the privilege of, of training. And these were our first mother tongue translators. They helped us do the first draft of the New Testament into Zabana. Then once you finish a draft, you have to revise it over and over and over so it's really, really good and clear. And then you do what's called a consultant check. This is here where consultant check in the Gospel of Luke. It's really an exciting time because you dive deep into the scripture. You're looking to make sure, is it accurate to the Greek, but does it read natural? Does it read as natural as the NIV would read for us? When Zabana people hear this, will they understand it? So if you're a young person out there and you're feeling that tug towards missions... I want you to consider Bible translation. If you like working closely with people and you love languages, that could be a good fit for you. One of the things about Bible translation I love, there are many, but along with our theme this, this year of multiplication, you know, to multiplying the fish and the bread, well, Bible translation has an amazing multiplication aspect. So when you're translating, you're giving God's word into the heart language of a people group, you're affecting the people that you know but you're affecting the entire people group, which could be literally thousands or millions, depending on where you work in the world. And that's not all. And then it's not only this generation, but you're affecting every generation that comes after. They will have access to God's word, which is amazing. So it's a fantastic thing. Whew, morning, dry mouth. So... Missions, though, is huge, and not everybody would want to become a Bible translator, and that's okay. There is a place for you in some aspect of missions. You could be working with orphan and orphans or maybe teaching missionary kids or doing finance for a mission agency. There's everything under the sun that's available, depending on your gifts. And if you're retired, I just want to say there is a huge move in retired people to get out and serve God in missions. They're finally free. They can go. And they have this lifetime of experience and knowledge to use. So um, if you're a retired person, self-identified, maybe pray about that and see if God has that for you. All right. So I want to do a little exercise with you. Um, if you have ever, ever gone on a short-term mission trip or a long-term mission trip with any agency, could you please stand? I want to see who you are. So stand on up. All right. Awesome. That would include, you know, YWAM, 412, you name it. Okay, how about if you work with CCF or Chi Alpha, if you could stand. Okay, how about um, the Lighthouse Mission? If you work on staff for Hillcrest Church, I want you to stand. All right, because this is a missionary outpost right here in Bellingham. So first, I just want to say thank you. Look at all these people. This is so exciting. You know, you guys took a risk. You said, yes, I want to serve God. I want to step out by faith and be used by the Lord. And, you know, missions is like life. Some things are really awesome. Some things are really horrible. Some things are really disappointing. And I don't know what your experience was in missions, but thank you for trying, for stepping out and saying, God, I'm available. So stay standing. Don't sit down. If you have, <laughs> if you have ever um, contributed finances to help a missionary, if you could stand. All right, there we go. I thought there'd be a few of you out there. And if you have ever prayed for a missionary, if you could stand. Hopefully that's everybody. <laughs> so this is it, you guys. We are a team. Some go, some send. For those of you that support financially, thank you so much. These people could not have gone 
and they can't do their ministry unless we send them and support them financially. So thank you so much. And when we're praying for people, for those of you that are praying for missionaries, please keep that up because our ministries are not going to be effective unless we can see the hand of God moving and setting people free. So thank you for praying and keep praying. So you can be seated. Thanks. (laughs) Wow, that was awesome. So many people. Wonderful. Well, missions, when you hear missions, what do you think of? Are you are thinking excitement, anticipation, um, or is it sparking fear, anxiety, maybe indifference? And I just want to say, if that's your experience, you are in a safe place. That God understands that, like in all areas of our life, we're in this process of growth. When I was in college, I was studying to be a, a PT, and my roommate was really into missions. And he had gone to Urbana, which is the big missions conference back east. So he was sharing all these great things about missions. And <laughs> I finally turned to him and said, praise God, you're called and not me. Which is like hilarious that Julie and I have spent the most of our adult life serving as missions. But that's where I was at the time. And the Lord understood that. And he has a way of changing hearts. So why missions? Why do we do missions? Is it out of obligation? Hopefully not. So missions, of course, Jesus said to go. The Great Commission, that's true. That's a valid reason. Um, He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped by people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's true. But sometimes we can approach missions from more of a negative slant, more of an obligation or a have to or compulsion or maybe even out of shame. And I want to suggest that that's not very sustainable, especially for the missionary. And I want to suggest a different way that we can approach missions. So if we can maybe have a different lens on, when we look at missions, if we can see it from God as our father heart, as our father, our good father, if we can see that, of course, that's true with every aspect of our life, but especially for missions, if we can see that, that will be a game changer how we approach missions. When we see God's father heart, then all of a sudden God is inviting us first on this journey of getting to know him as our dad, how we can love him and he can love us and he wants to restore our lives. He's got a plan for our lives. And then he invites us on this journey of participating with him in some aspect of reaching others and doing those things that he's doing in the world. We get to participate with him. So that's a very different way to approach, and it's much more sustainable. I'd like to just share a, a way of seeing this. Um, this is a, a quote. Not a quote. This is, this is my thoughts. <laughs> it is our growth in understanding his father heart for us and others in this world that helps to form our foundation for action and ministry. The closer we grow in our trust in God as our father the more our thoughts and perspectives change to naturally align um, themselves with his, even our dreams. And that was my experience. I I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I've been on a steep learning curve. And God's so gracious. Here in college, I was like, missions? No thanks. That's not me. And then what happened was, though, the more I got to know God, that he loved me and that he forgave me for my past and that I had a future and a hope with him, And then all of a sudden, I saw God moving in other people's lives, and I thought, gosh, I want to participate. I want to contribute in some way. And this just naturally bubbled up 
inside of me. And that's that wonderful thing that God can change our hearts and change our minds. Knowing God as our good father has the power to change the way we think about ourselves and our place in God's story. J.I. Packer has a wonderful description of how important it is to know God as our Father in his book, Knowing God. And I wanted to share this quote with you. It says, You sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, Everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Well, it's often easier to be able to relate to God as our father if you've had a positive experience with your parents. But for those of us that have not had positive experience, maybe our parents were a source of hurt or abuse or pain in our life, that is a a very difficult situation. And I first, I just want to say I'm sorry that that's been your experience. That grieves God's heart. That's not what he had for you. There is good news, though, in that going forward from here on in your life, he has the ability to, and, he, and the desire to mother you well, to father you well. And those things that you missed out growing up, he wants to provide that in your life. He wants to bring healing, deep healing in your life. And These are big areas, and sometimes with these kind of big areas, it might be helpful to meet with a pastor or maybe a professional counselor like Kelly Furlan and Christy Nipp, other people who work in behavioral health. They can come alongside and help guide you in that process of receiving healing from the Lord. So that would be good for you. I pray about that as an option. Well, as we learn about God's love for us, there's so many scriptures we could talk about, but instead what I'd like to do is look at God's Father heart through Jesus, because Jesus reveals who the Father is to us. So there's two stories I'd like to share. One is from Mark 5, and it reads, Jesus went, this is where Jesus is going to go with Jairus and then um, see his daughter who is dying. So Jesus went with Jairus. Many people followed along and kept crowding around. In the crowd was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had gone to many doctors, and they had not done anything except cause her a lot of pain. She had paid them all the money she had, but instead of getting better, she only got worse. The woman had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him in the crowd and barely touched his clothes. She had said to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. As soon as she touched them, her bleeding stopped, and she knew she was healed. At that moment, Jesus felt power go out from him. He turned to the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Look at all these people crowding around you. How can you ask who touched you? But Jesus turned to see who had touched him. The woman knew what had happened to her. So she came trembling with fear and knelt in front of Jesus. And then she told him the whole story. Jesus said to the woman, You are now well because of your faith. 
May God give you peace, you are healed, and you will no longer be in pain. In a similar story out of Luke 5, it reads, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he fell to the ground, face down in the dust, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you want to, you can make me well again. Jesus reached out. Can you still hear me? Did I lose it? It Maybe it's my battery. Sorry. Oh, there I am. Okay. Technical. It's okay. In the village, we don't have microphones. So this is awesome. We got microphones. So Jesus reached out and touched the man. I want to, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. I love these stories. And I loved translating them into Zabana because the Zabana people, by the world standards, would be very much marginalized people. And both this man and this woman, they represent, you know, people who are rejected. They were ostracized. They were definitely, in their culture, the man with leprosy was untouchable, but not untouchable to Jesus. And I was thinking that if you're feeling looked over, looked past, if you're feeling devalued or rejected, Maybe you're feeling marginalized in your life. That's not God's heart. God has compassion for you. He cares for you. When we have trouble seeing God as our father, that undermines our true identity as his children. And when our identity is not rooted deeply in who God says that we are, what he says about us, that leads us to difficulties and poor coping strategies. And it leads us into believing lies, lies about us, false narratives about our past, who we are now, or where we're going. And those false narratives have a way of blocking us from being able to see God as our Father or being able to step out and trust Him in ministry, whether it be just normal ministry here or missions in any way. So I'd like to share a couple of false narratives I think that we do deal with and um, just discuss that a bit. The first one is that God cannot forgive me for what I've done in my past. This is that lie that says that my sins, my failures are of such, such egregious state that there's no way that God can forgive me. I am disqualified from his forgiveness. That's often how we feel if we're dealing with an ongoing issue or maybe some addiction. Um, and I just want to say that that is a lie. That is not true. We know from 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. So the truth is, is that God is able to and wants to both forgive you for your past and for stuff that you're dealing with right now. He is able. Just because you mess up, God does not reject you. As a matter of fact, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. So we can stand on his promise that Jesus, he died for you, He died on the cross. He paid fully for your pardon. Another false narrative that I know many of us struggle with is this. I am too broken to be useful to God, and I cannot be fixed. I think this lie is often rooted in, you know, when we have brokenness in our lives, uh, we can come before God with this sense of shame that's not from God. And the truth is, is that when God brings forgiveness in our lives, We don't have to be ashamed of our brokenness before him. He understands that. He understands our human frailty. And we can learn how to live in that grace with God, even with our brokenness. And he delights to bring healing and wholeness in our broken areas. And in fact, 
It's in our woundedness and our brokenness that oftentimes we can be a voice of hope and encouragement to others who are struggling just like we are. We become that, they say, the wounded healer. And I love the way Brenda Manning talks about that when he says, the wounded healer implies that grace and healing are communicated through the vulnerability of men and women who have been fractured and heartbroken by life. In love service, only wounded soldiers can serve. So do you have areas of brokenness in your life? I would venture to say that all of us have areas of brokenness in our life. And the good news is that God wants to bring healing, and he wants to turn around and use that brokenness to be a a conduit of blessing and encouragement to others. And the last false narrative I want to touch on is just that God is not good, and I cannot trust him. And this is that frame of mind that we have sometimes where it says that, you know, that he does not really have my highest in mind. He does not really care about me. I can't trust him to provide for me. I can't trust him to meet my emotional needs. I can't trust him to meet my relational needs, let alone lead my life. And when life falls apart, God is not good. And honestly, life is life. You know, life is going to fall apart. If you live long enough, you know that life just falls apart at times. And even in those times, God is still God. He is still good. He's still faithful. And he promises to never leave us or forsake us, even in those difficult times. So I'd like to share a story that really drove that home for me personally in the Solomons. We had been living in the village for a season, making friends and relationships, learning the language. And then we heard on our radio announcement to our team that we had to evacuate because there was a militant coup in the capital. So that was over on Guadalcanal. We live a long ways. But because of all the machine guns, they cut the international phone lines. They took the prime minister captive. So all expatriate workers would have to be evacuated. Well, I was talking about this with one of our language helpers. And um, she said, well, I don't know where they're going to evacuate you. But if you can get to Australia and if you can get to Brisbane... My sister lives there. She speaks English. Maybe she could help you keep learning our language. So I tucked that away. So we packed up, jumped in a motor canoe, rode about an hour and a half to get to a big ship that we're going to take down to the capital. And unfortunately, because of the timing of the ship, this had to go down the the rough side of Santa Isabel. And I'm talking rough. It was absolutely horrible. So Julie and our three kids were all laying on the floor, throwing up for hours. I timed it. It was over five hours of throwing up. It was horrific. And I was praying there, Lord, I know you're good. This is horrible. I know you're good. And just trusting that, you know, you're going to help us get out of the country safely. And this is horrible, you know, and, um, but what's so beautiful is, you know, we could not even help our kids. We couldn't even help them over their buckets. We all had little buckets that we were throwing up into. And the Lord blessed this wonderful young man who worked on the ship. He came along and he ministered to us for five hours, just holding our kids, rubbing their backs as we threw up, and just for five hours, just, just ministering to us. So beautiful that God provided for when we could not provide for our own kids. So we got to the capital, quickly ran up to the Wycliffe houses, packed our bags, and were rushed to the airport because the New Zealand Air Force was coming to evacuate us. And so we got to the airport, and then I saw one of the Kiwi soldiers, and I said, hey, I just want to know, do you know where we're going? Because they were taking evacuation flights of expatriates all over different cities. He says, oh, we're taking to Brisbane. 
okay, thank you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Lord, you're, you're amazing. So sure enough, this gigantic Hercules plane lands, the kind with the troop carrier thing, and we flew in that to Brisbane, and we got there. Wycliffe found us a place to live. And so I called this lady on the phone. Hi, you don't know us. I know your sister. We'd like to meet you. And so we did, and we had a talk with her. And I said, you know, I don't know how long we're going to be here, but while we're here, would you be willing to meet with me regularly so I can keep learning your language? She's like, for sure. And she spoke English. Oh, it was so wonderful. So I literally got to spend so much time with her. And I was thinking, you know, we would go back in two months, three months. I've never dealt with a country going into anarchy before. It was a full year before the guns were off the streets that we could go back. Well, in that year, I was able to learn more Zabana speaking to her because I could ask her those really hard questions because she spoke English and I didn't speak enough Zabana. So it was miraculous. And our kids got to go to school in Australia for a year, which was great because we were very, very isolated in the village. And Julie had been really ill. So we were able to get real doctors and real care for her and find out what she was dealing. So here, this horrible situation, and yet God made good out of it. He's good. So I want to close by just just asking, do you have any false narratives that you're dealing with? Maybe ask the Lord, Lord, do I have any false narratives? And if you do, I want to encourage you to, like that, that man with the leprosy, you know, cry out to God, like the woman, reach out and grab a hold of Jesus. Ask him to bring that healing that he wants to deepen your heart. Your true identity is in him, in him alone. And he rewrites your story. You're his child. He loves you. He forgives you. He has grace for you and wants to bring healing to your life. And your life will find true meaning within his story. So I've asked the worship team to play a specific song this morning. And that they're going to come up and we're going to sing that together. And um, so would you, would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much that you are good. Even when the world is falling apart, you are good, Lord. And you see our frailty, you know our brokenness, and yet you come to bring healing. And Lord, I pray for each of us here this morning. I know there's people here that have hurts that are deep. Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come and to touch and to bring healing the way that only you can do. Lord, free us so that we can see you as our dad and to be able to step out with freedom in this abundant life that you have for us. And to be willing, Lord, for you to use us however you see fit. And we trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.